5, Ephesians chapter 5, as we're going through the book of Ephesians, the theme for the book is, again, body life, and we are the body of Christ, and Christ's instructions, Paul's instructions on what that body of life should look like in the church. The title this morning is, As to the Lord, As to the Lord. And again, we're going to look at verses 22 through 24. And Paul gives us some excellent counsel here about the husband and wife relationship. And with so many problems in marriage in our churches today, it's pretty obvious that this counsel is really needed, though husbands and wives don't like it. After Paul counseled believers to be wise by being controlled by the Holy Spirit, he now applied this to specific relationships in life. It's fairly easy to show a spirit-filled life, maybe for an hour or two at church. But it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to show godliness, not just on Sundays, but in our everyday relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, and slaves and masters, which we could say today, employers and employees. In each of these three relationships, the first partner is commanded to be submissive or obedient. But the second partner is also to show submissiveness by his care and concern for the first partner. Both partners are to be, or to act, I should say, toward one another as a service done as to the Lord. So whatever a husband does and a wife does, it is to be as unto the Lord. For hundreds of years, the world has tried to convince people that a secret adulterous love affair is more exciting than love in marriage. And yet your marriage can be a love affair experienced between the wife and the husband. When people think of a love affair, most people think of some secret rendezvous between a man and a woman. There's a dating service, if you want to call it that, called Ashley Madison. I don't know how many of you have heard of it. But it's a dating service that encourages having an affair. And they're marketing people who are married or in a committed relationship. Here's their motto. Life is too short have an affair. In February 2019, this company announced that it had, it had reached 60 million members in 53 countries. That's an increase from the 39 million they had years before. It's growing. In 2019, an interview with Ashley Madison's chief uh, strategy officer stated that the service helps create, listen, helps create up to one million affairs every month. Every month. Listen to how the dictionary defines love affair. A romantic attachment or episode between lovers. A lively enthusiasm. When you got married, were you thinking about having a romantic attachment? Or an episode, maybe a lively enthusiasm. 
I think what we were thinking about is something a bit more exclusive, like a wonderful lifelong affair designed by God for the husband and wife. God has provided all the pleasures known to man in their normal, healthy, satisfying way as the creator of marriage and the author of love. And in his design, he includes a love affair full of pleasures and joy and lasting satisfaction for every couple, not just a special few. But it's totally up to each of us to find out what this design is for our marriage and how it works by carefully searching the Bible and being willing to follow the principles, instructions, and examples we find in the Bible. God's book is to help you with the search and with the everyday application of the truths that are in the Bible so that you can start to experience all that God has for you in your marriage. And as you go through the scriptural principles and patterns, you'll find one basic changing truth that jumps out at you. And it's that God's will in every marriage, it's God's will in every marriage that the two love each other with an absorbing spiritual, emotional, physical attraction that continues to grow all through their life together. And it's possible for any Christian couple to develop this love relationship in their marriage because it's what God wants. It's in line with God's perfect will. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now this verse has been misunderstood and misused. Because the people say, oh, delight, it just says, you know, the Bible says that he'll give you the desires of your heart. And, and that's, where they, that's where they leave it. The Lord says he'll give you the desires of your heart. And rarely do you hear him say, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That means delight, delight yourself in the, wills, in the Lord's will. If you delight yourself in the will of God then you're going to be in line with the will of God, and then he shall give you the desires of your heart because it's God's will. Because he's the one who made us, and because he's the one who instituted marriage and officiated at the first wedding and designed it for our blessing, who gave us the potential for love, he's the one who knows best how to build love into marriage. But he, God, has to be intimately involved in everything that we do to develop the kind of marriage that pleases him. Every attitude, every action, every thought, every word spoken has to be controlled by, Lord, by the Lord. And as we follow his principles and we put them into practice, then we can start to experience the marriage that he planned for us from the very beginning, filled with the assurance that it will stay new and fresh all of our days. The Bible is the only and final authority on marriage. It doesn't give us sympathy or our own ideas that may or may not work. God's Word gives us solid biblical principles that will always work when we apply them properly to each and every problem. God's word is eternally true and 100% dependable. Cultures change, people change, lifestyles change, and they come and go. Ways of thinking come and go as time passes. 
But as Isaiah said, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord God stands forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. That is, God's principles never change. And human behavior doesn't really change all that much either. We might be in the 21st century, the age of technology, but underneath all of that modern technology lies the sin of today's man and woman. The same sinful, destructive patterns of living that Adam and Eve had in their day are here today. The people of Old Testament times, they had the same tendencies to do wrong and the same inner desires and needs that we have today. Because God has not changed, and man hasn't basically changed since the beginning of time, the principles of living spelled out in the Bible are completely applicable to marriage today. So you see, you haven't been left alone to deal with life's problems on your own. You don't have to just sit around being miserable, thinking about the unfulfilling relationships. The Bible tells you what to do about them and you, you're given every resource that you need in order to do those things that will lead to your blessing and happiness. We can be hopeful. We can be realistic and sensible about the problem that bombard our lives because we're dealing with steadfast truth with God's word. Now maybe this sounds to you like wishful thinking. When you think about the life that you're leading with your husband and your wife right now, you might be thinking, well, that sure sounds good, but you, know, you just don't know my marriage. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You're right, but God does. And the Bible understands the different and difficult situations that can come between two people in marriage. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what condition your marriage is in. Because it's not beyond fixing. Because we have encouragement and we have hope in God's word. The relationship that you'd like to have can happen. But it won't just happen. A troubled marriage usually doesn't get better right away or on its own. There are no overnight cures. There are no happy pills or happy dance. There's no, no love potions to change your marriage automatically or overnight. Good marriages don't just happen, you make them happen. They involve work, and that's where the problem lies. Nobody wants to work at it. If you read God's word carefully and consistently and you follow his instructions, you're going to learn how to love in such a way that there will be a responding love from your partner. And if you have a good relationship right now, it will become even better and you'll be excited and blown away by it. Love can come at any age and at any stage in your marriage if you're willing to open the door and invite love into your relationship. No matter how bad your marriage is, no matter how bad it seems to be, you and your partner can fall in love with each other all over again, maybe even for the first time. You've been thinking about divorce or like this so-called dating service, having an affair. Stop thinking about it. 
and do as Hebrews 10.24 says. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Self is what keeps you from submitting. Self keeps you from forgiving and self keeps you from loving. So you really end up divorcing, not because it can't be worked out, but because you won't work it out because of self. It's all about me. You're the problem. Jesus told the Pharisees the reason people got divorced was because of the the stubbornness of your hearts. That's the bottom line. Today it's called irreconcilable differences. We just don't see eye to eye. We just can't get along. Surveys show that the majority of divorced people are never really happy because they've lost more of the things that are really good and important. Divorce doesn't bring you happiness. You can learn how to handle the hardest problems in such a way that your marriage will become rooted in love and stabilized and strong enough to withstand the stresses and the storms of a lifetime. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 through 25, he, he, he compared these two men who built two houses. He said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, and these sayings are his words, it's speaking of his word, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, notice there's the key, whoever hears them and does them, it, the, the The blessing doesn't come out in the hearing. It comes out in the doing. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him or compare him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ. That man who builds his house on the rock, when the winds come and the rains come and the floods come, which represent the trials and tribulations in life, and they beat upon that house and they beat upon that marriage, it stands. Because it's built on the rock. You see, the wise man builds carefully because there's substance and there's great importance to what he's building. You're building the most important relationship next to the, next to the Lord a husband and wife and your family. He realizes the greatness of what he's building. In Luke 6, 48, Jesus says, he dug deep and laid a foundation upon that rock. He dug deep. Digging involves work. I know there's times that I've, you know, had to dig a hole to put a plant in it. Man, depending on the ground, digging is a pain. It wears you out. So it shows here that this guy dug deep. He worked at it to build that solid foundation. And if you don't dig that hole for the plant and it's not deep enough, it's not going to grow. It's not going to do well either. It takes work. The man who doesn't want to work at the foundation, he's not, you know, he's not going to enjoy the blessings of God. Like this man who dug deep, he's not content with flaky answers to his problems. He's not, he's not content with the shortcuts in life. We love shortcuts. Why well, should I do? 
The saddest thing about the difference between the builders, between the man who built his house on the rock and the house on the sand, is what happens in the end. Now, the guy standing across the street might look at these two houses and go, look, those are beautiful houses. They look really nice. They're, they're built really well. Beautiful houses. And thought, hey, I, it's going to stand forever. But it fell. It fell. Why? Because, you see, there were minor faults in the structure. And sometimes when we look at our relationships, we see those minor faults, and we say, no big deal. No big deal. It, it, it doesn't matter. But its biggest weakness in this house was underground. And then because the foundation, the biggest weakness is it was that house is built on, it, 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 it made those little those little things that he didn't think was a big deal, that made him a big deal because it was in the foundation. The man built his house on the sand. His basics were wrong. And the word that God says, Jesus said the, 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 that, that, the great, that great was his fall. When the rains came and the floods came and the winds blew on that house, hey, it, it knocked it down. The bottom line is this, that when you, when, when you reject Jesus Christ and his word, you lose out on a whole lot of blessing on earth and in eternity. Even if you're trying to save your marriage all by yourself without any help, it can be done. That is, if, if you're doing it all by yourself without any help from your partner, it can be done. When you correctly and consistently apply God's word, God's instruction, there are no exceptions. There are no exceptional situations where God's eternal ideas won't work. Because the word of God has everything that you need. It has the detailed information that every married couple needs to know in order to, be, in order to build love, restore love, and preserve the marriage from the evil forces that would try to destroy it. The Word of God is a marriage manual. It is a marriage guide. It is a reference book. It is the blueprint to show you what to do and how to do it. It implies action, though. You know that desired results are only going to come from doing, not wishing, not dreaming, not complaining. So put the instructions that you find to work. And remembering that it's God's word and it's based on God's thought. It's based on his nature and his behavior. And you and your partner can make it happen. Because so much of the church has ignored the full teaching of God's word for so long. A lot of believers aren't even familiar with some of God's truths. And even find them hard to believe. Oh, I can't believe. How's that going to work? It's God's word. It's the infinite wisdom of God. That's why. And it's never going to work if you don't apply it. And because the church has been so influenced by worldly standards, they say, hey, man, God's word, it's out of date, man. It's, it's, it's obsolete. These times are different. God's word is out of touch and even offensive 
to some people to today's thinking. And especially the topics that we're going to study here on submission. God's thoughts are so totally different from the world's. God's ways are so far beyond anything that you could imagine. And just like Isaiah said, the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are God's ways higher than your ways and his thoughts higher than your thoughts. And because, and because God's ways, they're so opposite to the way that the world sees things and the way the world thinks about things, they're totally beyond the understanding of many in and out of the church. And marriage today has probably been more distorted and corrupted by the devil than any other area of modern living. And as a result, causing the world and the church so much confusion in the area of marriage and the family. And Paul deals with these things, starting in verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9. And he teaches us about the general principle of mutual submission in verse 21, where he says we are to, be, uh, to submit to one another, and by giving several illustrations from the family, beginning with the relationship of husbands and wives. And Scripture makes it clear that there are no spiritual or moral differences among Christian men and women. Paul said in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all equal in Jesus Christ. We all equally share the same God, equally have the, uh, uh, are, are um, you know, available for the, for the gifts. We have the, we have the same Bible. We're all equal when it comes to the spiritual nature of being born again. There are no classifications of Christians. Every believer in Jesus Christ has exactly the same salvation, the same standing before God, the same divine nature and resources, the same promises and inheritance. But here's where the problem lies. It lies when it, it, the problem lies when it comes to roles and functions that God has made a difference. Even though there are no differences in individual worth, or basic spiritual privileges and rights among his people, the Lord has given rulers and government certain authority over the people that they rule. To husbands, much to the dismay of wives, he's given authority over their wives. And to parents, he's given authority over the children. And to employers, he's given authority over employees. And in verses 22 through 24, Paul starts off with these issues by defining the role duties and priorities of the wife in relation to her husband's authority. First, he deals with the basic subject of submission, then with its way, purpose, and example. So let's begin with verse 22a, the first part of verse 22. And it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands. This applies to every Christian wife, no matter what her status in society is, no matter what her education is, her spiritual, or mature, uh, spiritual maturity or her giftedness, or her age, experience, years married, or any other consideration. Nor is her submission based on her husband's intelligence, which we prove that right away. Um, <laughs> 
It's not based because he's smarter than she is. It's not based on his character, his attitude, spiritual condition, or any other consideration. Paul says unconditionally to all Christian wives, submit to your own husbands. The word submit is a military term, hupatasol. It means to arrange or rank under. Spirit-filled Christians rank themselves under one another. And as Paul said, we're to esteem each other or to esteem, esteem others higher than ourselves. In other words, this submission is to be a voluntary response to God's will. I do this because it's God's will for me. It's to be a voluntary response to do God's will in giving up one's independent rights to other believers in general and to ordained authority. In this particular instance, the wife's own husband. Now, submit is a very mild word, though when we hear it used sometimes, it sounds like a, a, a demeaning word, like a, you know, a, a, an order, a command. Submit to me. It's not, not meant to be used like that. It's a loving word. It means to respond to your own husband as to the Lord. The way we respond to the Lord is that we love him because he first loved us. And notice that it says you're to submit to who? Your own husbands, not any other man. To your own husbands. A very personal, special, intimate, loving relationship is the basis for the submission. Paul is definitely speaking to Christians about Christian marriage. She is not ordered, the wife is not ordered to obey her husband. Like children are ordered to obey their parents and, and employees to their employers. A husband is not to treat his wife like a servant or a child, but an equal. Genesis 2 said God made one who was a helper that's comparable to him, a helper. Not a slave, a helper comparable to him who comes beside him and fulfills him and completes him, makes his life easier. She's an equal who God has made him responsible for providing for. God has made the man, and we'll see that next week. The husband's role. God has made him responsible for providing for her, for protecting her. And he's to do it in love. She's not his boss. She's not his boss to boss around, to jump to his every wish and whim. As Paul goes on to explain in a lot of detail in verses 25 to 33, the husband's main responsibility as head of the household is to love and to provide and to protect and to serve his wife and his family, not to lord over her according to his own whims and his own desires. And the words your own husband here, it suggests the intimacy and the support of the wife's submission. She willingly makes herself subject to the one that she possesses, that is her own husband. And husbands and wives are to have a shared ownership as well as a shared submissiveness. They belong to each other. They're totally equal with each other. The, the, the rub comes in is, is, is the role that, that we're placed in. 
The husband does not possess his wife any more than she possesses him. He's not superior, she's not inferior any more than one who has the gift of teaching is superior to one with the gift of helps. And when you carefully, uh, carefully read 1 Corinthians 12-31 about the gifts, you see there that God has designed every person for a special role in the body of Christ. We all have different roles. And the main thought about all of those roles, joining them together, is love. Paul said in Galatians 5.13, to through love serve one another. Like the spiritual gifts, it's the same with the headship and the submission. They're totally functional, that is totally positional, and, and ordained by God. Because of Eve's disobedience to God's command, and because of her failure to talk with her husband about the serpent's temptation, God told her in Genesis 3.16, Eve, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Let me read that from the New Living Translation. And though you may desire to control your husband, he will be your master. Now this desire here isn't sexual or emotional both of which Eve had for Adam before the fall, being his, uh, being his specially, uh, specially made uh, helper, comparable to him. It's the desire here, this desire shall be for your husband and to rule over him. It's the desire to force, urge, twist the arm, or seek control over him. And this is where many of the difficulties in the marriage relationship comes in. He's the head, but she wants to rule over him. And that's what the word, the, the, the word there means. It means to force, to urge, to twist the arm, or to seek control over him. The Lord warned Cain in Genesis 4-7, Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Sin wanted to master Cain, but God commanded Cain to master sin. In light of this meaning, the curse on Eve was, was that a woman's desire would be, from that time forward, to constantly want to be in control constantly wants to lead and to take over the place of man's headship that he would resist that desire and would rule over her the hebrew word here for rule isn't the same as in genesis 1 28 where it meant dominion the word rule here is a domineering kind of authoritarianism a dictatorship that was not in god's original uh, plan for man's headship with the fall, its curse there rules. Uh, with the fall and its curse there, it, it, it you know it it it, 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 you know, the, the, it distorts the role. It distorts the role. That's where the battle of the sexes all started, where women's liberation and male chauvinism started. Women have a sinful ten tendency to take over man's authority, and men have a sinful inclination to put women under their feet. God's ruling that man would rule over a woman this way was part of God's curse on humanity. And it takes a work of grace in Christ by the continual filling of the Holy Spirit to restore God's original order and harmony of proper submission in a relationship that has become corrupted and lawless by sin. Eve was created from Adam and ordained to be his companion. 
And God's curse did not change his original plan for shared support in the marriage relationship or for the well-designed authority of the husband over the wife. Man was created first and was created usually to be physically, constitutionally, and emotionally stronger than woman, who is the weaker vessel, 1 Peter 3, 7. Before and after the fall and the curse, Man was called to be the provider, protector, guide, and shepherd of his family. And the woman was called to be supportive and submissive. Now we're going to look at the way of submission, the second part of verse 22. So first it said, Why submit to your own husband? As to the Lord. Here is the way you submit. As to the Lord. The manner or attitude of submission is to be as to the Lord. You're doing it as unto the Lord. Everything that we do in obedience to the Lord shall also be done, first of all, for His glory and to please Him. Paul said, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you're a wife or a husband, you do it as unto the Lord for His glory. Jesus said in John 8, 20, uh, 8 29, I always do, do those things that please him. He, he's our pattern. He's our model. He said, I always do, do those things that please him. I always do those things that please my father. We should have that same desire. I want to do those things that please my father. Those that we submit to, whether it's in a shared submission or in a response to their position of authority, Many times won't deserve or make us want to respect them. Many times, you know, again, the husbands make it difficult for their wives to respect them. You know, a lot of employers, a lot of bosses at, at the work job, at the workplace, and they 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 treat you disrespectfully, and they 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 just you know mean or whatever it might be, and you don't want to respect them, you don't want to submit to them, but we're called to do so as unto the Lord. We're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for His glory. That's what we're called to do as believers. Sometimes they'll be thoughtless. That one in authority, whether it's a husband, a, a, an employer, they'll be thoughtless. They'll be unkind. They'll be obnoxious, ungrateful. But you see, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit-filled believer in these situations the wife submits anyway because that's the Lord's will and her submission is to Him. A wife who properly submits to her husband also submits to the Lord. And a wife who doesn't submit to her husband also is not submitting to the Lord. Now in verse, the first part of verse 23, we see the why of submission. The first part of verse 23. Because the husband is the head of the wife. Here is the why for the submission. The husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. The wife's best reason for submitting to her husband is the truth that he's her head in the family by position, just as Christ is also the head of the church. Again, it's because of the function. It's because of the role that God has put the husband in. And for you guys in the military, or ladies that may have been in the military, I think of the very first thing is when I went to basic training and we were all just, you know, brand new troops, for about the first month, it was kind of just, 
we were just a bunch of ragtag guys and the drill sergeant was leading us around. But about a month later, he began to appoint jobs to guys. You're going to be the squad leader. You're going to be the road guard. You're going to be the, the, the guy to send them out to the chow hall and boom, boom, boom. And you didn't argue. This was now your position. And it's so funny because, oh, how we were all one before they were assigned roles. And the guy that got squad leader, the other guys, who does this guy think he is? Oh, he must think he's big shot. He must think. Poor guy, he was pointing at and saying, this is what you're going to do. He didn't ask for the job, but he got the job. But now everybody just thinks he's the worst in the world. So again, it, you know, and, and that's the whole thing. It, we're where we are because God's placed us in positions. This is where, where God wants me, and this is how God wants me to do that. And so again, we are in this place because it's the, the function that God has for us. And so, you know, he gives us, he, he gives us these positions in the body, and, and, and he expects us to carry them out. So the head, so the head he, gives the, he gives the direction, and the body responds. A physical body that doesn't respond to the direction that the head gives, that body is, is crippled, it's paralyzed. In the same way, a wife who doesn't properly respond to the direction of her husband shows a serious spiritual abnormality. There's a defect there. On the other hand, a wife who willingly and lovingly responds to her husband's leadership as to the Lord is an honor to her Lord and to her husband and to her family and to her church and to herself. She's also a beautiful testimony to the Lord in view of the world around her. And then in verse 23 and 24, it gives us the example of submission. So let's look at verses 23 through 24 again. For the husband is head of the wife, also Christ, as also Christ is head of the church. Notice, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The best example of submission is Jesus himself. Of course, he's the best for all examples. Jesus performed the greatest act of submission by giving his own sinful, sinless life to save a sinful world. Jesus is the savior of the body. He's the savior of his church because he, he died for us on the cross. He's the perfect provider. He's the perfect protector. And he's the perfect head of his church, his bride, his holy body. Jesus Christ is the heavenly example for husbands who should provide, protect, preserve, love, and lead their wives and families as Christ cares for his church. And remember, we're his bride. And he's a wonderful husband to his bride. Wives, you are not to be, you're not to be co-providers, co-protectors, or, co or, or co-leaders with your husbands. Any more than the church of Jesus Christ is to have such joint roles with Jesus Christ. I don't need to counsel Jesus. I don't need to lead him. I don't need to help him. I'm not a co-provider for him. I'm not a co-protector of Jesus. He does all that for me. Just as the church is subject to Christ, it says here also the wives should be there to their husbands in everything. That is now, everything that is godly. 
this is where the husbands really like to use this verse. You're supposed to submit to me in everything. And I've had wives say, hey, you know, my husband, he's backslidden, you know, and he, he wants to go to a nightclub, and, you know, he wants to go dancing and drinking, you know, and, he, and he wants me to go. Do I have to go? Mm-mm. If he's not leading you in a godly manner, he's not in the Word, he's not in prayer, he's not being a godly example in that sense, and he wants you to go out and sin, you don't have to go. So when he says, hey, you're to submit to me in everything, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, you know, I, can't, I can't go because it's, you know, it's going to cause me to sin. And, I, and I, I won't follow you into sin. I won't follow you into something where God is not leading. And so, guys, don't, don't use that, you know, you're to submit to me and everything and think, hey, she's going to come right along because, you know, if, if you're not leading her as the Lord leads you, then there's no need to follow. So in closing, following God's plan for the family is not only pleasing to God, but it's the only way to, to, to godlier, happier, and more secure homes. God's plan is not for the purpose of exalting the husband, nor is it for putting down women, nor is it for the exaltation of women and the putting down of man. It's, it's for the perfect and f- uh, the perfection and fulfillment of both man and woman as God has ordained them to be. But this perfection and fulfillment is only possible by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this explains why a Christian should marry a Christian and not become unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Because the, the Christian and the, un, the, unequal, the, the non-Christian, man, they'll be pulling in different directions. They won't be walking down the same road together. And there will be difficulties. If the Christian is submitted to Christ... He or she will, won't, will not try to establish a home that disobeys the word of God. Because these kind of homes invite domestic war from the very beginning. There will be war between the husband and wife. If not, they're not, again, if they're unequally yoked and they're ruled by uh, with, uh, ungodly principles. But there's something else that's important. The Christian couple must be careful to submit to Christ's lordship even before they're married. You want to make sure that that person, that man or woman that you're about to marry or want to marry or you're hoping will go to the altar with, that they are submitting and loving the Lord even before you get married. Because you see, if you can't submit to the Lord, the Lord, the Almighty God, if you cannot submit to the Lord, how can you submit to one another? Very important to understand that. And if I can't say yes to the Lord, how am I going to say yes to you? How am I going to do the things for you if I don't do them unto the Lord? So know that going in, don't find it out after you're in. Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you again for the wonderful principles that we have in your word, Lord. And Father, your infinite wisdom, God, 
It just, it's, it needs no revision. It needs application. So help us, Father, to do right, to be right, to make things right, God, for your glory and for our good, for the good of our spouse, for the good of our children, our grandchildren, for the good of the church, for the good of society, God. May we be a light reflecting your wonderful light, God. Lord, we thank you for the offering that we will receive today, Lord. Again, we thank you for, again, as the husband is to be the, the provider, we thank you, the husband of the bride, the church, for being a wonderful provider. And you've been providing for us, Lord, for many years. So we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. As